Ben Witherington III's analysis of Galatians 6.11 delves into the complexities of interpreting the Apostle Paul's mention of writing in large letters. This unique feature in Paul's letter to the Galatians prompts Witherington to explore various interpretations and their implications in the context of ancient letter-writing practices and rhetorical styles. Witherington considers whether Paul personally wrote the entire letter, or if this statement indicated a customary practice where authors included personal notes at the end of letters primarily composed by scribes. He examines different views, including that of Chrysostom, who believed Paul wrote the entire letter himself due to the urgency of the situation in Galatia. However, Witherington notes evidence from other Pauline epistles suggesting Paul regularly employed scribes, adding personal touches or concluding remarks himself. The discussion then shifts to the significance of the large letters. Witherington posits that this unusual feature in Paul's writings could serve to accentuate the letter's message, akin to using bold print in modern texts. Also, he explores the possibility that Paul's eye problems, referenced in other parts of his writings, might have necessitated this deviation in style, reflecting his personal investment and the seriousness of the issues addressed in the letter. Moreover, Witherington contextualizes Paul's letter-writing practices within the broader historical practice of using scribes. Given the critical and emotional tone of Galatians, coupled with its theological depth, Witherington contends that Paul likely played a significant role in its composition, possibly dictating it word for word. In summary, Witherington's analysis presents a multifaceted interpretation of Galatians 6.11. He considers historical practices, textual evidence, and Paul's personal circumstances, suggesting that the large letters are more than a physical trait of the text. They are indicative of Paul's deliberate emphasis, his personal struggles, and his deep involvement in the letter's composition amidst the pressing issues facing the Galatian church. Furthermore, Witherington dives into the unique structure and message of the epistle's conclusion, contrasting it with typical Hellenistic letter-ending conventions. In Hellenistic letters, a brief health wish and farewell are common, but Galatians deviates from this pattern, lacking elements like travel plans, final greetings, prayer requests, expressions of joy, and a conventional doxology. The absence of these elements affirms the letter's serious tone, preparing the reader for a compelling peroratio, a key element in rhetorical composition. Witherington notes that the peroratio in Galatians serves two primary functions, summarizing the persuasive arguments made earlier and arousing the audience's emotions. This aligns with the norms of deliberative speech of the time, where evoking emotions like anger or pity was crucial. The peroratio in Galatians 6.12.17 encapsulates these functions, contrasting Paul's views with those advocating a different gospel, especially around the issues of circumcision and the cross. Central to Paul's argument is the primacy of the cross, which Witherington asserts is more fundamental than the experience of the Spirit or the concept of justification. The agitator's downplaying of the cross's message is portrayed as a direct threat to the essence of the gospel and Christian faith. Paul's response is therefore intense and urgent, defending the cross and the cruciform pattern of Christian life as indispensable. Witherington concludes that understanding the peroratio in Galatians 6.12.17 is key to grasping the letter's overall message and Paul's intentions. It offers insight into Paul's theological, ethical, and social vision, highlighting the cross's centrality in Christian life. 
the final verses, focusing on themes like circumcision, persecution, and new creation, are pivotal in understanding not just the letter to the Galatians, but also the core of Paul's broader theological teachings. In addition, Witherington places significant emphasis on the cultural concepts of face and honor in Apostle Paul's era, particularly in understanding verse 12. The Greek term euprosopeo, unique in the New Testament, suggests presenting a good face or appearance, indicative of a concern for maintaining honor. This is evident in the behavior of the agitators, likely Jewish Christians, who boast not about their own circumcision, but that of the Galatians. Such boasting is rooted in a desire to maintain or enhance their honor rating within their community. This contrasts with Gentile converts to Judaism, who historically underwent circumcision without boasting, acknowledging its social stigma. Further, Witherington examines the verb anagkazusin, traditionally translated as force or compel. He interprets this as exerting moral or persuasive pressure rather than physical coercion. This interpretation is pivotal in understanding the agitators' methods of persuading the Galatians to adopt circumcision. They likely employed emotionally charged polemical language, typical of the peroratio, concluding part of speeches, to sway their audience. Besides, Witherington digs into Paul's suggestion that the agitators' actions were motivated by a fear of persecution for the cross of Christ. He explores the theory of a zeolotic persecution in Judea during the late 40s, which could have influenced the agitators' motives beyond mere self-preservation. However, he identifies several issues with this theory, including the primary focus of Paul's letter on Jewish issues rather than the Roman emperor cult, and the lack of evidence suggesting that Galatian Gentiles faced persecution for non-observance of emperor's rights. In short, Witherington posits that the agitators' primary concern was their honor among local Jews in Galatia. Their strategy was to report their success in converting Gentiles and advocating for the acceptance of Mosaic law, including circumcision. This approach allowed them to maintain good relations within the local synagogues and the Christian community, aligning with the conservative views of Jewish Christians and some Jews in Jerusalem. This explanation, Witherington debates, best accounts for the motivations and context in Galatians 6, providing a comprehensive understanding of the passage. Additionally, Witherington provides a nuanced examination of the motivations and characteristics of the agitators, identified as the circumcision party. He commences by focusing on the term peritemnomenoi, bolstered by a range of manuscripts. This term clearly categorizes the agitators, setting the stage for a deeper analysis of their actions and Paul's response. Witherington raises a critical question regarding Paul's claim that these agitators do not adhere to the law. He explores whether this is mere polemic or a reflection of Paul's own stringent past as a follower of Torah laws. This inquiry is particularly relevant given Paul's stance in Galatians 5, 3, where accepting circumcision is equated with the obligation to follow every aspect of the law comprehensively. Intriguingly, Witherington draws from Paul's history as Saul the Pharisee, referencing texts from Galatians 1, Acts, and Philippians 3, 4, 6. This historical perspective suggests that Paul's critique of the agitators might be grounded in his own experiences and stringent legal standards rather than just rhetorical attack. Paul's past, characterized by a rigorous adherence to the law, provides him with a unique vantage point to assess the agitator's fidelity to the law. Further analysis of verse 13c reveals another layer to the agitator's intentions.
Paul implies that their push for circumcision among the Galatians hasn't yet been actualized, indicating a window for dissuasion. This leads to a secondary motivation for the agitators, their desire to boast about their successes among the Gentile Galatians to Jews. Witherington indicates that in this instance, flesh should be interpreted literally, maintaining the physical act of circumcision rather than its moral or spiritual connotations. In sum, Witherington offers a comprehensive understanding of the agitator's motivations rooted in historical context and theological insights. His analysis presents a picture of Paul's perspective, shaped by his own legalistic past, and his critique of the agitators is more than just polemical, but a reflection of his genuine assessment of their adherence to the law. Also, Witherington provides a deep insight into Paul's theology and his understanding of the transformative power of the cross of Christ. Witherington points out how Paul sets up a stark contrast between himself and the agitators. For Paul, the only thing worthy of boasting is the cross of Jesus Christ, which he sees not just as a personal belief, but as a cosmic event that has changed the world. Paul's statement about the cross in verse 14 is not merely a declaration of faith, but also a personalization of his struggle. It forces the audience to confront a choice, align with Paul and his gospel, or with the agitators and their teachings. This personalization brings to the forefront the profound impact the cross has had on Paul's life and mission. Witherington reiterates Paul's apocalyptic view of the cross. For Paul, the crucifixion is not just an event in history, but a turning point for the cosmos. Through the cross, Paul perceives that he has been crucified to the world and the world to him. This suggests a mutual disassociation, symbolizing a significant shift in values and paradigms. Paul's conversion, thus, is not merely adopting a new religion. It's embracing a new worldview where the crucifixion of Christ is central. This new paradigm involves a transvaluation of values. The crucifixion of Christ, in Paul's eyes, had not just personal but cosmic effects. It changed the world, marking the beginning of a new age. Witherington notes that for Paul, even the law and other material aspects of the world are fading in importance in this new reality. The present evil age, according to Paul, has been dealt a death blow by the crucifixion, and the world's basic values and assumptions are now obsolete. In conclusion, Witherington through Paul's lens presents the cross of Christ as a pivotal event that demands a complete overhaul of personal and cosmic perspectives. It repeats Paul's understanding of the cross as a momentous event that redefines the relationship between the believer, the world, and the divine. Moreover, Witherington examines the Apostle Paul's assertion in verse 15, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything but a new creation. This statement is pivotal, marking a shift from physical rituals to spiritual rebirth in Christian theology. Witherington underlines that Paul distinguishes between temporary physical practices like circumcision and the enduring transformative nature of becoming a new creation, a concept central to Christian belief. Witherington examines the Greek term kainkatesis used by Paul. This term is complex as it can refer to the act of creating or the result of such an act. It might denote the entire creation or an individual creature. In Romans 8, 19.22, the term leans towards meaning the entire creation. However, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 and within the context of Galatians 6, it seems to imply a new creature. Witherington disputes that new creation could be the most suitable translation in this context, possibly influenced by the prophetic literature like Isaiah 65, 
1725, which speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. Furthermore, Witherington brings into perspective the Jewish tradition of viewing proselytes as newborn children. This background is pertinent, as Paul addresses the attempts by certain agitators to treat the Galatians as proselytes, necessitating adherence to the Jewish law, including circumcision. Paul's message, as interpreted by Witherington, is clear. The Galatians, and by extension all Christians, already possess in Christ what the law is supposed to offer. This spiritual transformation in Christ, therefore, makes physical rituals like circumcision redundant for salvation and spiritual rebirth. In essence, Witherington underscores Paul's emphasis on spiritual transformation over physical ritual, positioning the concept of being a new creation in Christ at the heart of Christian identity and salvation. In addition, Witherington explores the theological and linguistic aspects of the passage. He begins by clarifying the meaning of the Greek word canon used by Paul. Contrary to its later interpretation as canon, Witherington explains that in this context it signifies a rule or standard. This interpretation leads to the understanding that Paul is accentuating the new creation over traditional Jewish markers like circumcision or uncircumcision as the true measure for evaluating one's life. Witherington then addresses the complex phrase and mercy and upon the Israel of God at the end of verse 16. He presents two primary interpretations based on the translation of the word kai, kai. If kai is translated as also, Paul might be seen as offering peace to one group and mercy to another, potentially distinguishing between non-Christian and Christian Jews. However, if Kai is interpreted as that is, it implies that the Israel of God encompasses all Christians, both Jews and Gentiles united in Christ, thereby blurring the distinction between these two groups. The term the Israel of God is peculiar due to its absence in other Pauline writings and in the literature of Second Temple Judaism. Witherington explores the possibility that Paul redefined an existing term used by his adversaries. He suggests that the phrase could refer to Jewish Christians, drawing parallels with other Pauline texts, notably Ephesians 1-2, where distinctions between Jewish and Gentile Christians are acknowledged yet unified in Christ. Ultimately, Witherington favors the interpretation that the Israel of God signifies both Jewish and Gentile Christians united in Christ. This perspective aligns with the overarching theme of Galatians, where Paul contends for a community of believers defined not by ethnicity or adherence to the law, but by faith in Christ. Witherington's analysis thus affirms Paul's redefinition of the people of God, moving from ethnic or law-based distinctions to a faith-based identity in Christ. This redefinition is a central theme in Paul's theology, reflecting a transformative shift in the understanding of the Christian community. Further, Witherington offers a detailed interpretation of the Apostle Paul's concluding remarks in his letter to the Galatians. Witherington considers the Greek phrase tulopu as meaning finally, signifying Paul's closing argument or peroratio. This interpretation is based on comparisons with similar uses in other Pauline letters. The verse serves as a warning to the agitators and the Galatians aligned with them. Witherington posits that the term kopos, translated as trouble, indicates Paul's plea for an end to the difficulties caused by his detractors. This plea is underpinned by Paul's assertion that he bears the marks of Christ. Witherington clarifies that these marks, stigmata, are not to be understood as the later concept of stigmata, 
but rather as physical scars from persecutions endured for preaching the gospel, a theme frequently revisited in Paul's epistles. Delving deeper, Witherington explores the cultural and religious context of the time. He suggests that Paul's reference to bearing Christ's marks might be an allusion to ancient practices of dedicating oneself to a deity for protection. This interpretation is supported by historical references to similar practices. In this light, Paul's scars serve as a talismanic warning. To harm Paul is to harm Christ, whom Paul represents. This understanding would have been particularly resonant in a culture where beliefs in talismans and the evil eye were prevalent. Chrysostom's interpretation, asserted by Witherington, highlights the verb bear over have, drawing a parallel between Paul's sufferings and Christ's, as well as the broader Christian ethos of enduring burdens. This linguistic choice strengthens the argument against accusations of hypocrisy, likening Paul to a battle-wounded soldier whose scars attest to his genuine commitment. Besides, Witherington briefly alludes to the topic of circumcision, hinting at its significance in the context of Jewish and Christian identities, which is a pivotal theme in the letter to the Galatians. This mention suggests a deeper exploration into how such practices relate to the broader theological arguments Paul makes in his letter. Additionally, Witherington delves into the complex cultural and historical nuances surrounding the practice of circumcision in the Roman Empire. He indicates the stark contrast in attitudes towards circumcision between the Jewish communities and the Greco-Roman society. In the Jewish tradition, circumcision was a long-established and significant ritual, deeply rooted in their religious and cultural identity. However, in the Greco-Roman world, particularly among the Greeks and Romans, circumcision was viewed with disdain. This aversion was so pronounced that some Greeks would undergo surgical procedures to conceal circumcision, reflecting the broader cultural clash between Jewish religious practices and Greco-Roman norms. Witherington maintains that despite the widespread repugnance towards circumcision in Greco-Roman culture, there were pagans who found Judaism appealing and were willing to undergo circumcision. This indicates a level of religious and cultural intermingling, even though it was often the subject of satire and ridicule in Greek and Roman literature. Also, the issue of circumcision significantly impacted Hellenized Jews, who found themselves caught between their Jewish heritage and the prevailing Greco-Roman culture. This dilemma was especially acute for Jews participating in public life, such as Greek athletics, where circumcision could lead to social ostracism or ridicule. In the context of the Galatian community, these cultural tensions played a crucial role. Paul's argument against the necessity of circumcision for salvation was a response to the agitators who insisted on its importance. He pointed out that faith in Christ and the reception of the Spirit were the true marks of a believer, thereby countering the agitators' emphasis on physical circumcision. Witherington concludes by examining the final benediction in Galatians, where Paul expresses a heartfelt wish for God's grace upon the Galatians. This closing reiterates Paul's ongoing connection with the Galatians despite their differences and his desire for them to focus on grace and faith over ritualistic practices. Last but not least, Witherington dives into the challenges of cultural imperialism in the context of Christian evangelism. He critically examines the approach of the agitators in Galatia, who believed that adopting Jewish customs was essential to be a true Christian. This belief reflects a narrow, ethnocentric understanding of the gospel, 
similar to the cultural imperialism that often accompanied Christian missionary work in the 20th century. Missionaries, albeit with good intentions, frequently projected Western capitalist values and cultural norms onto the people they sought to evangelize, inadvertently blending cultural imperialism with religious teachings. Witherington illustrates this with the experience of American missionaries in Africa, who initially struggled to convey the message of Christianity due to cultural differences. The tribe they were evangelizing admired traits like treachery, which they mistakenly attributed to Judas as a heroic figure. It was only when the missionaries adapted their approach to align with the local culture, using the concept of a peace child to parallel the Christian story of reconciliation between God and humanity, that they made a meaningful connection. Moreover, the commentary repeats Paul's personal journey and convictions. Witherington underlines Paul's dedication to the new creation envisioned by God, his indifference to worldly suffering, and his commitment to the gospel, knowing the rewards of eternal life outweigh earthly tribulations. This is underscored by referencing missionary Jim Elliott's famous quote about the value of sacrifice for eternal gains. Finally, Witherington emphasizes that Paul's emotionally charged and confrontational message in Galatians was effective, as later biblical texts indicate a positive reception among the Galatians. This, according to Witherington, demonstrates the enduring power and relevance of Paul's message of unity under one God, one gospel and one new creation, a message that continues to challenge and inspire contemporary audiences. In conclusion, Witherington offers a comprehensive exploration of the Apostle Paul's use of large letters in his letter to the Galatians. This detail prompts Witherington to dig into various interpretations and their implications in ancient letter-writing practices and rhetorical styles. He considers the possibility that Paul employed scribes for the bulk of his letters, adding personal touches or concluding remarks himself, a practice supported by evidence from other Pauline epistles. Moreover, Witherington examines the significance of the large letters, proposing that they could serve to accentuate the letter's message, akin to using bold print in modern texts. Alternatively, this stylistic choice might reflect Paul's eye problems, mentioned elsewhere in his writings, indicating his personal investment and the seriousness of the issues addressed. The discussion then shifts to the unique structure and message of the epistle's conclusion. Witherington contrasts it with typical Hellenistic letter-ending conventions, noting the absence of elements like health wishes or farewells. This deviation affirms the letter's serious tone and sets the stage for a compelling peroratio, a crucial element in rhetorical composition. Witherington asserts that the peroratio in Galatians serves to summarize the persuasive arguments made earlier and to arouse the audience's emotions, in line with the norms of deliberative speech of the time. Furthermore, Witherington examines the cultural concepts of face and honor in Apostle Paul's era, especially in understanding verse 12. He interprets the Greek term euprosopeo, suggesting a concern for maintaining honor as reflected in the behavior of the agitators who boasted about the Galatians' circumcision to enhance their honor rating within their community. In addition, Witherington offers a nuanced examination of the motivations and characteristics of the agitators identified as the circumcision party. He explores whether Paul's claim that these agitators do not adhere to the law is mere polemic or a reflection of his stringent past as a follower of Torah laws. 
This historical perspective suggests that Paul's critique of the agitators might be grounded in his own experiences and stringent legal standards. Further, Witherington provides deep insight into Paul's theology, particularly his understanding of the transformative power of the cross of Christ. For Paul, the crucifixion is not just a historical event but a cosmic turning point. Through the cross, Paul perceives a mutual disassociation from the world, symbolizing a shift in values and paradigms. Besides, Witherington touches on Paul's assertion in verse 15, highlighting the shift from physical rituals to spiritual rebirth in Christian theology. He debates that in Christ, physical rituals like circumcision become redundant for salvation and spiritual rebirth. Lastly, Witherington examines the theological and linguistic aspects of the passage, exploring the meanings of Greek words and their interpretations. He suggests that the Israel of God in verse 16 signifies a community of believers defined not by ethnicity or adherence to the law, but by faith in Christ. In summary, Witherington presents a multifaceted interpretation, exploring historical practices, textual evidence, and Paul's personal circumstances. His examination offers insights into Paul's writing style, theological perspectives, and the cultural and historical context of his time.